Hey everyone, welcome to Resilience Unraveled. This podcast is the result of my fascination with subjects like resilience, accountability, burnout, life fulfillment and other life and work-based performance issues, as well as many of the other obsessions I bump into in my life. I spend my time working with highly successful teams, people and organisations, and this podcast introduces their remarkable stories and expertise, as well as my own synthesis of the key issues, strategies, tips, tools and resources to thrive in life. If you find this podcast useful, why not go over to our site qedod.com. If you'd like some resources on how to manage and beat burnout, head to qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 for some goodies. Stay tuned to the end to find out details of how to order a free ebook. Enjoy the podcast. So today I'm talking to Steve Larson, and where I am in the world is the UK. It's January, it's dark, it's dingy, it's horrible, wet, and nasty. And I'm talking to Steve Larson, and I'm really excited to talk about him because he's in one of my favorite parts of the world. Steve, where are you? I am in the United States. I am in Washington State in the Pacific Northwest. And you may have the rain, but we have the snow over here. And it just keeps coming down. I am so jealous. <laughs> yeah, it, it, we're usually pretty excited about it for a couple days. Uh, but but then, it, then it gets old pretty quick. Lots, lots of shoveling, lots of sliding off the road. Um, yeah, you got to be careful what you wish for as far as the weather is concerned. Yeah, I always like going across the States and listening to the Weather Channel. You know, yeah. when, when, when mild rains kill and all that sort of stuff. And I do like a bit of snow, don't they? They're all standing out in it, digging it, standing out in their boots, having a lovely time. Yep, yep. We, uh, we're, we're starting to have one of, one of, those, one of those winters. I got a, got a couple of feet sitting on my back deck right now. Very good. Well, it's a pleasure to talk to you. Um, Steve, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? How would you describe yourself and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I'd say the, the main way to describe me is as a financial planner. Uh, that's how I've spent the bulk of my adult life. Um, graduating college, I did web development for a little bit and found that uh, painfully boring. And so went into the exciting field of finance. I'm not yeah. sure a lot of people would consider that more exciting, but, but I thought it was. Um, and uh, I, through that time, I've really gone through about every iteration of a business model you can think of from working for big companies, little companies, partnerships, lots of employees, no employees. And, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that today. Um, and, and really what's, what's happened for me in the last few years uh, is that I, I feel like I've really accomplished what I set out to accomplish in the business. Um, and that prompted me to, to really make some changes, to write a book, to get into some consulting with other people who want to make change and things, things kind of along those lines to really challenge myself a little bit more. So, um, you know, primarily my profession is still a financial planner, but that, that's starting to evolve pretty quickly now. Right. So, I mean, you, you say that quite modestly, but you're not just any old financial planner. You've got a good track record and qualifications out here falling out your ear rolls. So, you know, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that. You know, it, it's funny, one of the things when I got started, so, um, you know, we were on, uh, on video briefly, uh, Russell, and you can, you can see that I'm very, I'm very young looking, and uh, I, I've always been young looking. And when I got into the financial business, I was, I think, 23, 23 or 24, um, which is, you, you know, and, and since I always look about 10 years younger than I am, I, I look like a high school kid. 
And yeah. so back when I was building my business, I'd walk around and I'd knock on doors. That's how you had to get business back in the day. Um, and most people thought I was there to, to hand out Bibles or to, you know, sell raffle tickets or do something else. <laughs> they, they certainly didn't think I was a licensed financial advisor. And the reason I tell that story is to say that, that I had to get some credentials behind my name quickly so people would take me seriously. Because yeah. I just looked like a young kid that didn't know what he was doing, e even though, you know, I'm, I'm, I like to read, I like to study, I like to know what's going on. Uh, so I got my uh, CPA, which in the United States is to prepare taxes uh, and to do accounting work, certified public accountant. Uh, mm -hmm. And then I also got a master's degree along the way in accounting and then my certified financial planner designation as well. And yeah, so I was in a bit of a race against time to get those because uh, even though I was getting more experience, I wasn't, I wasn't aging <laughs> as, as rapidly as I needed to to start building clients. So mm -hmm. that's where the, the credentials and the, and the studying came from for me. But you've also, um, you've also looked at arbitration as well. And I think um, mediation and arbitration are quite fascinating yeah. areas, aren't they? So how, 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 what, what's, what's arbitration all about in the, in the States? In yeah, they sense? are. So, so when it comes to the financial sector here in general, and of course there's lots of exceptions, but uh, when you sign a investment agreement, you agree to go to arbitration as opposed to suing through the courts. So you can end up in the courts occasionally, but you know, 99% of, of issues within a legal financial contract end up in arbitration. And that's a panel of three. And there's one industry professional, which is where I serve. And then there are two non-industry professionals, um, typically retired executives or lawyers uh, in other fields doing this. And so basically, if an investor says, hey, um, I think I got cheated out of $100,000 here, or my, in my investment advisor didn't listen to my instructions, they'll file a complaint and that will go in front of a panel of arbitrators, um, of which I am one of those. And there's you know, thousands across the country. So it's, it's really fascinating to be able to hear both sides of the story and do it in a much less formal setting than, than something like a courtroom or, or people being deposed or that type of thing. Um, because it's not as clear cut as you'd like to think. Usually, usually in these cases, they both have points. Um, occasionally, it's just a negligent financial advisor, uh, and those are easy. But more often than not, you can see where, where both parties are coming from. And, and if that's the case, you really have to remove, you know, the emotion from the situation and think, okay, we've, we've got to figure out what the letter of the law here is and, and how to apply it. And so you're sort of effectively judging people who are in your own field of work, I suppose, aren't you? Yeah. And that's something I, I, I think is a great idea. Um, and I'd love to see really more of in the professions is having people who are, who are interested in the inside, you know, who know the insides and outs of a particular profession being the ones to help settle these disputes. Um, you know, the, the attorneys are helpful that are on the panels with me because they understand, you know, a lot of kind of the, the legal maneuvering that I don't, uh, not being an attorney or solicitor, I guess, in your language. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, but sometimes if they're just a business executive, they're smart people, but they don't understand the ins and the outs of this business. So it does help being a professional because I can understand what the advisor was trying to do. Uh, but I can also understand what the client wants and I can say, oh, he didn't, you know, the advisor didn't communicate this or he didn't use the right words or he took this shortcut because of the training I know he had. And it helps me get to the bottom of those disputes uh, a bit faster than other people can maybe. Right. Interesting. And your sort of contention is a bit that, oh, there's so much you said I want to ask about. Let me, let me <laughs> drill into that first of all. So you mentioned you're door knocking. 
And you yeah. mentioned that you're sitting there looking young, needing yep. to needing to have all this gravitas. So, yep. um, and then you also talked about needing to separate the emotional from the rational. So those three things are all really useful and resilient. So unpack the yep. first one for me. You're knocking on doors and getting knocked back, partly because you look 12. Yep. Um, so, so how did you deal with that rejection? What, what, what was the mindset you had to adopt? Because I imagine what you had to do there was to put aside the emotional stuff. So what, how did you do that? Yeah, it, it's great. And, it's, and it really is a good segue into what you like to talk about. Um, you know, the, the short answer is I didn't very well, at least at first. Um, I had, you know, I was one of those, um, I'm not one of those people that cannot study for tests and get an A plus, but I'm one of those people that cannot study and get B minuses yeah, and get okay. C pluses. Yeah. And that's what I'd spent most of my uh, high school and college doing, which is not working really hard um, and, and doing enough to get by. And, you know, when I, when I went to translate that into the real world, um, it's not that, it, and I'll be honest, I think some of that is still helpful <laughs> to be able to, to just yeah. check boxes that need to be checked that you don't think are going to benefit you. But when it really came to getting my first SmackDown, um, professionally, that was it. That was the first time I'd had a few personally, but I'd never experienced professional failure on that level. Right. And when you go out and knock on doors and people slam the doors in your face, or even if they're not rude, and they are just talking to you about, hey, th thanks, I appreciate it, but no. And you hear that 10, 15, 20, and eventually 30, 40 times. Um, it's hard. Yeah. It's hard. And I think there's certain personalities that are built for that or maybe already have that experience to get there and, and some that aren't. And, and I can tell you that wasn't something I was prepared for uh, or, in my opinion, really built for. Do you think... Do you think with hindsight, you could have been prepared for it through some sort of training. Yeah, that's a great question. I absolutely think that I could have been. Um, what, what happened is I found myself, um, you know, at, at, at lunch on the first day, calling one of my, one of my trainers, sitting in my, sitting in my truck in some random neighborhood, uh, calling one of my trainers saying, oh my goodness, what's happening? And they said, oh, this is typical. You know, here, you know we're, I'm used to the calls for the freak out. Don't worry about it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that helped me get through the, through the first day. Uh, and then, and then that night, you know, and, and subsequent nights I was able to call my family and call my dad and, um, you know, explain what was going on and, and get some more perspective from, from, you know, somebody with business experience who'd been through rejection and been through a lot of these scenarios. Um, but, but to answer your question, it, it, had I have known it was coming, I could have had some of those conversations in advance. And it wouldn't have fixed everything, but I certainly would have, I probably would have got, you know, two or three days in before I meltdown instead of two or three hours. Yeah. And, what, and, and if you had to give someone a bit of sage advice who was in your shoes, but going through it now, what would you say to them? Other than you need to have a better sales message so you're not constantly being told <laughs> no. <laughs> and that's, that's funny. That's another thing I had to adapt over time. But, um, you know, I, I think... I think it's easier when you get older because you can tie things to a bigger picture or yeah. to a larger vision. Yeah. So when I was 23, I didn't really understand why I was spending my day in misery. Um, yeah. You know, I thought, Hey, maybe I can make it, maybe I can make a, a career out of this, but, but I also didn't have the experience uh, or the knowledge at that point to really connect the dots. Um, now, if I had to knock on doors to feed my family, or to leave a job I hate, it well, that would be really easy for me. It's not that I would enjoy it, but not a, not a second would go by where I couldn't tie it back into what I was trying to accomplish. Um, but, but back when I was young, I didn't have a clear vision or clear goals, and so there was nothing to really, to really rely on once, I, you know, once things got difficult. Yeah, 
That's a really interesting thing, isn't it? Because we often put youngsters into these jobs where they need quite a degree of um, emotional maturity. Mm -hmm. um, and it's almost like a, we, we chuck them in and if they survive, then we give them the training afterwards rather than thinking, actually, how do you give them that, that emotional maturity? And that, I think that's a really interesting observation, that big thing about the context and purpose. Because actually, you're right, if you've got a family, you're more likely to sort of work harder. Well, you're more likely to be able to understand the reasons why you have to keep on going. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think the reason some young people get through, uh, and, it, and it happens in a lot of professions, but you know, finance is a great example, um, is that a lot of them can tie it to a goal, which is they want, they want to be a financial advisor. They want to be a financial professional and they want to tell their friends they are. Yeah. Or they want to make money and they know this is the shortest path to making money, even if it's very difficult. And, um, and not, to, not to suggest that every young person who makes it is, is selfish and greedy, because that's certainly not the case, but uh, even you know, less pure motives can help you through that time. And for me, I wasn't in any of those places. You know, of course, I wanted to succeed and, and, and make a better living, uh, but I wasn't driven by any of those. So uh, when things got hard, for me, it was a lot of, what am I doing? I, I'd rather be sitting at a desk, you know, taking orders from a boss and doing this. Yeah. Interesting. And, and you're not a big fan, it appears to me, of the financial services industry. In fact, you've even written a book that talks about how the financial services industry is screwing you and what to do about it. I, so what was the motivation behind that? Yeah, so that, that, was, the, that was the first book. And, um, you know, it's funny now that I've, I've written a, a real book, which we'll get to shortly, um, calling it a book is a little generous. It, it's more of a, uh, it's more of a really long... <laughs> yeah, rant. <laughs> It's more of a really long rant and journal entry that made me feel a lot better. Um, you know, I gave it to, you know, one, one of my friends is like, I never read that. Let me, let me take a look at it just, you know, just a couple weeks ago. And he's like, well, I'm halfway through it. It's really good, but I'm, I'm, I keep waiting for the part where you have a solution. Yeah. And I thought, oh yeah, that's, that's not coming. I didn't know what I was doing, what I was doing. Yeah. You're not going to see a solution there. And that's something I've fixed in my subsequent writing. But, um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm not, it, it's kind of funny. It's one of those things where I really think it's 90, 10. I, I think the 10% who are in the finance profession doing the right thing and going out of their way to structure their business the right way are some of the uh, most fantastic and ethical and moral and talented professionals in any industry. And I'll put them up against anybody. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I think the bottom 90 are at the other end of the bell curve there. Uh, they're, they're, they're dragging us down. They're in it for money. The, client comes second. Um, I, I just, I'm just not real impressed with our business as a whole. Yeah. So you've obviously got the taste for writing books though, because obviously that seems to be where your future's heading, is it? Yeah, it, it is. It is. And, um, you know, I, it, it's, it's funny when you try to, you know, and I think we can maybe talk about this with resilience as well, because I think, Failure is very obvious, obvious, but also when you have success yeah. and when there's nothing else to accomplish. And one of the things I've realized, um, you know, and it did coincide with me turning 40, I suppose, to a certain extent, probably more than I'd like to admit. But, you know, you realize that, hey, achieving one more thing in your profession really isn't going to bring more happiness. It isn't going to bring more satisfaction. It isn't going to keep you motivated. So then what do you do? And, and can you keep going even when things are going well? Because you, again, you have a hard time, or I, I should say I have a hard time then, you know, connecting an extra 10% growth in my business to anything I want to accomplish in my life. Yeah. And so, so even on the other end, you get in trouble. 
Yeah, I understand that. That's interesting. And before you, we get into you know your book writing career, it's it is important to say that you actually you you mentioned earlier that you have lots of jobs, but you seem to be an owner of quite a large financial planning firm. So you're not basing this advice on you know being one of these whimsical authors. This is based on solid expertise, being an entrepreneur, creating something of value. Is that fair? Yeah. No, I I, I appreciate it. That you probably put that way better than I could. But um, you know, and that's. So I think I think that's kind of a good segue into the into the book I, I, I did write, which is which is a little bit of what do you do next? Yeah. You know, some people just know I don't know what I want, but I want something else. Yeah. Some people know exactly what they want to do next. Um, for me, I didn't necessarily know what I wanted to do next, but I knew it involved writing. Yeah. Uh, to at least the next step did, and so what I did was organize my business um, really to allow me for more time off and time to write and time to pursue. So uh, there, there's, a couple, there's a couple layers to that. The, the first one was the organization of my business. Uh, and that was really fun because I was able to basically do things that were long overdue. I thought, hey, if I'm gonna be here way less, I need to get some systems, I need to get some procedures, I need to get my employees trained up, I need to empower them. I need to get rid of these deadweight clients, things I should have been doing over the last five years, um, but I didn't do them until I really had, had a reason to. And so uh, my business is more profitable and more efficient than ever, and I'm there you know, a fraction of the time I used to be. So that was one great thing to that. So, so hang on, you're telling me that in order to write a book, you actually um, didn't just launch into it, you actually did some planning. I, I did. My goodness, because a lot of people don't seem to do that. They don't seem to actually, they don't seem to bet, they don't seem to actually measure the risk in writing a book, do they? they and they yep. talk about all this financial freedom and all that sort of stuff, but they don't seem to make any, they don't seem to sort of plow the field before they get off and do that. Yeah, that, that, that's exactly right. That, that's a really good observation. And um, that's one of the ways that will make a, a career change or finding more freedom or whatever it is you're after successful is, is to do that work in advance. And, uh, you know, yeah, if, you're, if you have a boss, it's a little more difficult. If you have your own business, it's a little easier, but you can make these changes. And it, it was funny, through this process, I realized what I wanted to write about. Um, I used my financial system that I teach my clients and I combined it with, with organizing um, things in my life to be able to do this. And I thought, wow, that there's the book. So the, the book's called the year off and it's how to organize your finances in your life um, to pursue what matters in your life. And, uh, and so really it's just a story about the process I used to create this freedom, including the things you have, you have to get organized to make it happen. So could you lift a lid on that a little bit and give us some sort of clues on the sort of maybe, maybe the starting approach of that? Is it, yep. Because actually one of the things you're talking about is not knowing what you wanted, but knowing you didn't want what you had, which is a very common psychological starting point. And there are people, as you say, who know exactly what they want. Yeah. So you're starting from there, well, I don't fancy this, but I fancy some writing. So, hmm. So you're thinking, to, so do you, do you then have a plan? Do you have, a, a, do you have it all mapped out? Where's, where do you actually start with this sort of new idea of purpose? Yeah, so I, I realized two things across this journey, and this, this is what I was able to hopefully articulate uh, well in my books. I, I was going through this figuring out. The, the first one is you don't have to figure out what you're going to do forever. You just have to figure out what you want to do next. And so that lifts, lifts a lot of the pressure, just figuring out where you want to start. Because once you start doing anything, things are going to look different in your life and your ideas are going to change anyway. So 
don't change for a 20 year plan, change for what you want to do next. So that, that lifted a lot of it. And that kind of pushed me towards writing, which is okay. Maybe I won't be any good. Maybe I won't have a 50 year writing career, but that's okay. That's what I want to do next. That was a big part. And so, then, so, so, okay, then let me, let me just think this through for a minute. So, so I need to write a book at the moment. I've only been talking about it for three years. <laughs> so, so what you're saying to me is work out what you're going to do on the 1st of February, not, you know, no, but not what, not how to do the whole book. Or you're yep. thinking actually, how do you create space in the iPhone? Where, where is it? Cause it makes sense when you say, figure out where you're going to start, but, but where yep. you're going to start is sometimes the most difficult place. Isn't it? Cause you, it, it's, it, it's real. It is. It is. So figuring out where you're, where you start usually, usually is it because, you know, if I wanted to, um, you know, I, I, I make fun of a bit in, in the book, you know, the whole concept of traveling the world, which I think is great, but it's also fairly impractical for most people. Yeah. So if I was going to travel the world, I would have to organize my life to look one way. I would have to figure out how to not be in my business at all. I'd have to figure out, you know, school for the kids while we're traveling. I'd have to figure, I'd have to figure out a whole different set of things than if I was just going to go to the office a couple hours, you know, a couple hours a day um, and have the rest of the time to myself. So kind of figuring out in general will, will help you determine the things you need to get in order. So unfortunately, that is where you have to start. You see, you've made a fundamental error there, Steve, if I may be supposed. Yep. You, you're taking the kids. Don't <laughs> 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 leave them behind. <laughs> so, so that makes sense. I mean, it, it makes sense to, you know, understand the risks, understand what you're attempting to do, have some sort of idea of a plan yep. and such like. But, um, but you're, you're saying more than that as well. You're, because actually figuring out where you, I mean, I love the idea of just figuring out where to start because that means yep. actually I'm not figuring out very much. Yep. So what, what, I, what I came up with this concept in my book is kind of this, this Venn diagram of, of three circles that, that overlap. And they're your, your skills, your interests, and your experience. Yeah. And I thought, well, if I can figure out kind of what's at the confluence of those, then I can figure out maybe where to start here. So my experience is all financial. So it's okay. My experience is with anything finance related. That's where, I, that's where I've spent all my time. And then I thought, okay, writing, well, I wish it were a skill, but that, but that's a little, that's a little bold right now. It's an interest because, yeah. you know, I thought, I hope I'm an, I hope I'm an average writer, but, but it's certainly not a skill. It's one of my interests. So what, what is another skill? Well, a skill I have through what I've done is communicating information um, efficiently, really being an effective communicator of large amounts of information, breaking it down into actionable items. And so I thought, okay, if I look at where those three things overlap so i want to write i need to write about finance because that's what i know and i need and what i am really good at is taking kind of large concepts and breaking them down into things that are understandable then the shape for this book started to come together well mm -hmm. i'll write a finance book about how people can organize their lives so it makes sense financially to do what they want yeah and you know even since then you know it's, it's evolved into lots of everything but it gave me a place to start start writing this book then I could go back and figure out, okay, what does my life need to look like for me to write this book? And, and, and you seem to be implying, and maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm taking the implication that this is a book about how you help people change yes. or, you know, for a significant event, like taking a year off with it. But actually, it just sounds like how you change. It doesn't seem to be a first, it doesn't seem to be, doesn't seem to need to have a significant event. It just needs to have, it just needs to have the need to do something. Yeah, yeah, that's it, not really English, but do, do, do you know what I mean? 
No, I, I do. I do know what you mean. And, and really it, yeah, that, that's great. If you need financial help, I hope it'll help you. That's great. If you need drastic change, I, I hope, I hope it'll help you if you're unhappy in your job. Uh, but, but mainly it's, it's hard to talk about um, the topic of, you know, meaning and passion because it's so overdone now. Oh, I'm sorry. But, said that, yeah. but, but really any, any type of, um, of, unhappiness really is derived at root from a, from a lack of meaning and a lack of purpose. And um, it's not so simple as pursue your passion, right? If we knew what that was, we would just do it. I think 95% of people would just do it if they knew what it was. Hmm. That the problem is there's a huge chunk of the population out there in the world, which I consider myself one of, and I don't really know what that is. Yeah. And so I think the important point is you don't have to know what it is. You just have to get started. You just have to move somewhere different so you have a different view where you can potentially figure it out. So this is interesting. We often talk in psychology about finding your passion through what you do. Um, so some people start off by saying, this is my passion, here I go. And some people seem to say, well, you find the passion in, in actually what you do in the day-to-day. And are you, sort of, are you sort of reinforcing that view? Yeah, I am. I am. I think that, I guess the view I would take is for, I think both can be true. I think the first people don't need my, don't need help and specifically don't need my help. If, if you know what you want to do and you're not doing it, that's kind of on you. You got to figure out what's going on in your life to delay that. Uh, I, I think the, I think the larger number of people fall into the second camp, which is me, which is I'm not quite sure. I just know it's not this. Is part of what you talk about there for the, some of the the mental constraints like well I'm, I'm not worthy of having my own idea of what to do or you know I don't know what to do and I can't do it because I'm already doing three jobs and I haven't got time to do all this yep. you know fancy stuff because I'm too busy doing that because you 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 actually do talk about finances as part of this you don't talk you do talk about the role of money and all of this to make it work don't you yep yep no that that's a great point um any of those can be issues, uh, of course. Uh, you know, one thing that popped into my head where you were talking about that is a lot of it, it, really any change can be intimidating to go to something new because in this era of specialization, people are so darn good at things. Yeah. If I just looked at the writing skills of some of the people who put stuff out there, you know, I would never get out of bed, let alone write a book because these people are so talented. They're so good. I will, I will never be them. So that's why you, that's why for most people, if you're one of those people that's, that's the best at something, congratulations. But uh, I'm more a believer in kind of the, the, the Scott Adams skill stack, which is, you know, find three things you can get in the, get in the, you know, 25th percentile of, um, you know, the top 25th percentile. And, you know, for me, I thought, okay, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm never gonna, never gonna write like, you know, author or Michael Lewis or Mark Twain or anything. And then that's fine. Um, but I know more about finances than they do. That's for sure. Yeah. And I can speak a lot more plainly than they can. That's true. So now if I can get my writing up to just being okay, I'll probably have something here. Interesting. And so that comes back to your skills, skills, interests, uh, and experience matrix again, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it, it does. And, and if through this, if through this adventure, my writing does become good, well then that I can move that to a skill column and swap in a new interest. And now I've got a whole new, whole new world of possibilities for me. So, so you're writing this book, tell me, tell me when it's coming out. So, yeah, so right now we're uh, shopping it to, to publishers here in the, in the U S and I hope to have something done here in the next month or two. Um, so let's just, uh, right now I'm targeting, let's just, t- let's just say uh, mid 2020 right now. Interesting. 
I'm, I'm just reading the, um, I'm just looking at the, um, the page on your website when you say 85% of workers worldwide hate their job. Um, and that's interesting because many people who are working in their own organizations and entrepreneurs hate their own job as well. And um, so this is, this is about any sort of change. This could be just changing a job, changing life through to chucking it all up in the air and going and having a year off. It, it is. It's about movement. It's about if something isn't working, don't stand still. And you, you, is, this, is this written for the millennials who, you know, those people who are 20s and, you know, look, you know, look your, your sort of age? Or is it for old, old lags like myself who've been around the block? You know, I, I, I know that I, I read a lot of marketing stuff and I know we're supposed to market everything to, to the millennials. Um, and I hope they get some value out of it because I think there's some valuable information in there for them. But it's not. It, it, I think it's Gen X and older. Um, and I think it will be particularly useful for people um, with obligations, even those millennials who have started to get married or started to have kids, um, you know, and they're busy reading, make a change, travel the world, be your own boss. Uh, and those are such, that can be true, but those are such shallow concepts. Um, yes. You know, you, you, I think it's really important to intentionally pursue some meaning in your life, knowing that it's not something you're going to find somewhere. And I think that people who need that message the most are, are, are people, my, are people my age and, and people your age and people who, who feel like the days of freedom may have passed them by because they've got mortgages and bills and families and responsibilities and employees and, and everything that goes along with it. And, and to be clear, you're not just giving up work and writing a book. You're, you're still pursuing revenue generation and business running, I'm guessing. Yeah, I am. So a, a few things are happening. Um, I, I do still have client meetings. I have one uh, in about an hour, as a matter of fact, but I do way less of those. Uh, let's even call it 90% less client meetings. And instead, I focus on my employees and um, I guess my partners now. Um, I've, I've sold them some of my business and I focus on my partners and building their skills and their ability to manage clients and run the business. So I haven't disengaged, but I have evolved my role. Uh, as far as kind of how I interact with the business. And you say these days, I spend most of my time looking for opportunities to help people change. Um, how are you doing that? So through the book, through the, through the book and uh, a second one I'm working on as well, that's, you know, uh, that's a year away, I'm sure. So I, I hope to have some influence there. Um, but also I am consulting with uh, doing some executive coaching and coaching with business owners as well. Uh, to make these changes because I have, um, you know, a not long ago, year and a half ago, I had a profitable business, but it was dependent on my time and it was dependent on me being there. And I didn't have the systems or the processes or anything in place. And I also didn't know what I was going to do when I had more time. So now I'm consulting with business owners uh, to help them through the same process as far as, hey, let's get your businesses in order and then let's figure out what you want to do here. Mm. And so if you were to meet someone who's at the other end of the curve from you starting out or, yep. you know, um, pre-change, uh, what's the one critical bit of advice you would give them to, either to give them the confidence to start or the sort of uh, the determination to continue? Yeah, that, that, that's, a, that's a great question. One, one thing I like to talk about, if it's a business owner, um, the easiest way to start the process, if, even if you're not convinced of making some radical change, is, well, let, let's, let's get your business in order so you at least have the option. More, more options are better than less options. So um, it's kind of like, like when you fix up your home right before you're going to sell it. 
It's just once everything's fixed, you don't want to sell anymore. Everything yeah. looks perfect, you know, or, or, you know, when you're on your way to get a haircut and you're like, yeah, that doesn't look so bad after all. It's kind of that same concept with your business, your frustrations, a lot of them will go away once you treat it like you're going to sell it or treat it like you're going to do a transition. And so for business owners, that's, that's the first thing you can do to start to make improvements in your life is, is, you know, treat, treat it like you're going to treat it like you're going to sell it because then you'll start making some changes that that'll help you. That is brilliant advice. And, uh, it plays into quite a lot of psychological constructs, which people don't really understand, but there's that, that's, that's awesome advice. And, you know, I know from my own way of working that that particularly works for me as well. I think it's like when you make a decision, you actually make a decision that you're going to do it. And it's amazing yep. how, how things pan out. Yep. Um, Steve, I could talk to you all night, but I really have to be respectful of your time, especially now I know you've got a client meeting coming up. So you need to probably get your headspace sorted out. Um, thank you so much. So people would like to get hold of you or get hold of these books. How would they do that? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I, in a perfect world, I get my book out in a couple of months, but you know, the publishing industry moves at a different pace than I do, unfortunately. So it's going to be a little while. Um, a couple places you can catch me. You can follow me on Instagram at uh, stevelarceny.com. That's uh, Steve Larson with an E and then throw a Y on the end and you can find me there and follow me. Um, and then you can also check out my websites, uh, stevelarson.co. Uh, and I do have a dedicated uh, website for the book. It's ayearoff.co. You can find me there as well. Brilliant. And if you're in the Spokane area, if that's a word, you need to be, be, be careful because you might bump into Steve and his role as a reserve police officer. You, you, that's absolutely right. You, you, you just might. Uh, probably not till the snow clears, though. I'll be uh, yeah. out for another couple of weeks. Yeah, what can I say? Just a couple of couple of micro flakes of snow when you're complaining. What can I say? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you got it. Well, keep up the good the good work, uh, Russell. Resilience is is a really important topic, and um, you know, unfortunately, the, the the heart of it only comes with experience. But um, like you brought up at the beginning, you can maximize you know your ability to learn those lessons. Uh, if you prepare yourself in advance and do some other things for it. And I, I think you're doing great work on that front. You're a superstar. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today. I really appreciate your time, Steve. I really enjoyed the chat as well. I think you've dropped some really interesting perspectives, which I've not heard from other people. So thank you so much. Hope for our audience to get tons of value. And if they need an exec coach or in, in the future, see all sorts of interesting stuff, go and see Steve's website, stevelarson.co. Uh, and we'll link into various bits and pieces from your from our website as well. So thanks again, Steve. All right. Thanks, Russell. Appreciate your time. No problems. You take care. Thanks. Thanks for listening today. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash podcasts and subscribe to hear other titles in our series. Or you can contact us at info at qedod.com to hear and find out more about tough love, leadership, accountability, resilience and burnout. You can go to our site, qedod.com forward slash burnout 2019 to hear and get access to a load of resources to help you manage and fight burnout. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash free ebook to hear more about the fundamentals of resilience. Until the next episode, keep on thriving!